peeps. On today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of electrical chi blasts from your hands, lots of professional white belts are way better than the professional yellow belts. Let's get to it. Every day, I practice martial <laughs> Yo, Dre, how you doing, man? I'm copacetic, Sifu. How are you? Very, very good. That's a that's a good word, man. Did you Is it? Did you just learn that? I just learned it on the train. Oh, good. Train good, right good. here. Yeah, like yeah. Do you watch one of those uh, YouTube videos, like the nah, 10 words get, to make people think you're smart. I get like an email from this website that gives you words every day. Words every day? Yeah. Like yeah. Word of the day. Word of the Dre. day. Yeah. Word of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Edit that out, Andrew. What? All right, so here we go. <laughs> uh, shout out to last week's episode. Yes. All right, so uh, anyway, what you got for me? Straight man? out the gate, Dale Mac Node. All right, I sounds like I, a name. I hope I did not butcher. Yeah, well, you most likely did. Yo, yo, loved your show. Thank you for all you do. Okay. And I believe he's talking to Mikey Dean. All right. So one too. thing I've found interesting about some older martial arts kung fu teachers is that it's not cool to have multiple teachers. I've studied martial arts since 1996 and have moved from a, I moved around from city to city quite a bit. And in doing that, studied under a bunch of different teachers in kung fu, Muay Thai, and jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Okay. Would you agree this isn't the way to learn martial arts? To me, I like to move around and try out different cities and also in doing so, try out different schools and teachers. I find everyone has a different style. And where the hell is the rest of Okay, I guess that's the end of the question. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Where the okay. hell's are the... I guess that's it. Yo, good job there. Good job. You want to maybe not knock, good job, knock your camera? Good job, uh, All right. So uh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit of a complex one because it's... Uh, well, it's, it's kind of an easy question. You could say, uh, yes, it's good to learn from different people. Or mm -hmm. no, it's not good to learn from different people. But the thing is that it's a little bit more complicated than that because it depends on the student mm. it depends on their level of seriousness and the way that they assimilate information so obviously in this situation uh looks like dale or sounds like dale's moved around quite a bit so having multiple teachers if you're like physically moving from city to city well that obviously makes sense if you're going to not be in the same place and you want to continue martial arts training well obviously yeah. you're going to have to learn from different people so when when it comes you know that's just in my opinion just kind of a practical thing right if you move around a lot for work or whatever story of my life yeah basically you barely moved around <laughs> what are you talking you've been in this area your whole life what are you talking about, what are you talking about? um so i mean th that's one thing but i think the problem is well i suppose it depends on how or what type of student we're talking about because if someone is like a serious student of a martial art, okay, and not to say like the martial arts, but like a martial art, then I believe that it makes sense to follow a teacher uh, to be kind of loyal to one way of doing things until you have a good enough grasp over that style. Mm -hmm. 
before you go on to the next thing. Because I think what happens with people, especially nowadays with the internet and you have all basically uh, the entire world full of information on your phone. You can look up things and, you know, different Dude. martial arts. Yeah, I mean, you go on YouTube, you can look up anything you want this. to look up. Yeah, well, I know you don't notice, but for the rest of the world knows, you can go on your phone and find shit out. It's crazy. Okay? Like what copacetic means, all right? <laughs> and so, uh, or, all right, so. Um, what? Yes, all right, you heard it. We're going to not stop giving you shit for not knowing what that is, all what? right? Uh, yeah, I see Mikey Dean was about to say something, and then he just, yeah, because you know whatever comes yeah, out of his mouth is inappropriate, himself. right? Yeah. Plus, he's still in mourning because the queen just died. So anyway. Hey, hey, um, hey, hey, take it easy. Yes, yes. So anyway. Condolences, brother. Yeah, our condolences. <laughs> All right, Mikey Dean's really inconsolable at this time. Yeah, I'm just So, you know, out. when I heard this news, yeah. he's the first person I thought about. Yeah, me too. I Me didn't too. reach out to him, though. I didn't say, hey. No, because you know he's having a party. That's why. <laughs> yeah. You know he's fine. <laughs> yeah. He's no, doing am, okay. I, I'm in mourning because I know for the next month, I'm just going to have to feel questions saying, sir, how do you feel about the queen dying? No. Yeah. Every time. Same as when there were the last royal babies have been born. It's like, yeah. sir, how do you feel about it? And I'm like, yeah. what? Because I'm English. Like, yeah. stop. No, I thought, how, how do you feel? How dare I think, you? I think he's inconsolable because of the number of memes he has to send now. <laughs> so, anyway, so anyway, man, the inappropriate memes I get, is like 90% of them come from this guy. Oh, from so this anyway, um, so I think like if you're serious about learning something, then you should find a good teacher and mm -hmm. you should really do your best to try to learn that teacher's method and get really good at it. Um, because for less serious students... When they th see it, it, it again, it always comes down to the individual because there are people who, if they run into a, a roadblock, mm -hmm. all right, let's say they're not able to do something well or they're, they're not able to competently defend a type of punch or something like that. There are people who will go, okay, my application of the technique or my application of the principle or the concept is not correct because I'm, I'm getting clipped with this thing every time I spar. Mm -hmm. And then there are other people that go, I need to learn another style because this isn't working. Mm. So it's kind of like which person are you kind of determines w what your route is probably going to be. So there are people that really internalize the martial art they're learning and they go, okay, well, if I'm constantly getting clipped by this thing in sparring, mm -hmm. then I need to figure out a way to not get clipped and to avoid that and to apply what I'm learning better. Okay. And there are other people that go, see, the style doesn't work. Uh, you, you, you know see, what I've and, seen yeah. uh, people that are, they'll beat themselves up. They're so good in their field. Like they just own it. Right. And then they try something new like this and they're just like, oh, I can't get this now. Right. I can't get yes. it right now. I need to have it now. Yes, yes, yes. And, and yeah. they're just beating themselves. Yeah, up. those people suck. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We have a lot. We have a lot of students like that. That's understandable. When people yeah. are like excellent at something, they have a really hard time being a beginner at something else. Mm -hmm. To which I say, get over that. Okay. All right. Because whatever you're good at in your field, you are also a beginner at what point. So what makes you think that the fact that you are like 
an expert in whatever your field is okay. automatically transfers to you like, well, now I'm going to do Wing Chun and be excellent at that because I'm excellent at uh, badminton. All right. Uh, so, you know, so the problem is it's, it's, it's a perception issue. And also it's a comparison issue. Like, oh, I just started. That guy also just started. And that person is better than me. Who the hell gives a shit if that person is better than you? You're not here for them. Mm-hmm. You're here for you. So you need to focus on your own skills, right? Yeah. So the problem is that there's some people that take issues with their ability to apply the skill personally as like, okay, I need to improve this thing. I need to get better at this thing. And there are other people that say, oh, see, the style doesn't work. And then what they do is they go on to the next style, to the next teacher. And they're like, oh, this is really cool. This solves my problems. And then inevitably they run into something that they can't solve or they can't do well or they cannot do adequately. And then instead of going, I need to learn how to get better at the system that I'm learning so I can overcome this weakness or issue or whatever, they go, see, the style is no good. I got to go do something else. Mm. All right. Um, And so the problem is you have people who are kind of serious martial artists and people who are dabblers. Okay. Okay. And so it depends on which one you are. If you're a serious martial artist, you go into stuff with massive depth. And when you go into something with massive depth and you've done something for a number of years, then if you are to go to another instructor, you go to them with a firm foundation and a firm understanding of your first style's strengths and weaknesses. And now you can learn from this instructor and see things that you may not have seen before. But the thing is, you need to earn the right to be able to see that. Going to someone's martial arts school for three months, six months, a year, and then suddenly deciding you know what's what about that style, you haven't even dipped your balls in that style. And now you're going to go somewhere else because you need something better to improve what you weren't able to do because you didn't even do that first style long enough to be to begin with, right? Damn, and so, damn. yeah, so... The, that, in my opinion, is an issue because people think like they mistake their own laziness, their own lack of insights, and their own lack of wanting to go into something in any kind of depth as a criticism on the style, which needs to be fixed by going somewhere else. Mm. But then the problem is they bring all those same problems to the new school. They're going to not really embrace that method of the new school that they're going to, the same way they didn't fully embrace the method of the last school they went to. They're going to enjoy it at first because it's new and exciting and they have that honeymoon period, that new car smell when they do their new martial <laughs> art. Ah, shoot. And then at some point, they're going to go, oh, yeah, I, I can't do this. I can't manage this type of opponent. I can't do this here. This style must suck. Time to go to the next one. Mm-hmm. Okay? So when people say, should you have multiple instructors, I have to like go, uh, who? Who are we talking about? What kind of student? Are we talking about a serious student who takes what they learn and really gets serious about it and tries to train it in depth and tries to understand it and and uses that one thing they learned as like a mustard seed to go and uh, go into that topic in massive depth? You know what I mean? Uh, Or are they just people who learn superficially and when they run into an issue, decide, okay, scrap that entire anomaly, go do something else. Only to have that same issue happen and then go to the next one. Mm. And the same issue happen and go to the next one. So the Vicious. thing is, you cannot 
tell someone like, yeah, you should have a lot of instructors. Okay. So I'm someone I've had a lot of instructors, both within Wing Chun and also outside of it and other things. But I've been doing Wing Chun in one form or another since 1995. Okay. Not so 96, like yeah, 95 or 96. Yeah. All right. And so I had one instructor for like three years. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to Germany, I had a few different instructors because I was training at an academy. So we had two or three primary instructors. But still, I was spending 30, 40 hours a week training with two guys, which is way more than anyone trains with one guy. Damn. Right? I had like those two instructors, right? And then when I came back, I, I learned primarily from Sifu Lengting and Sifu Carson Lau, for, you know, when I was already an instructor. So even though I've had different instructors within the same line, I kind of intensely stayed with a certain instructor for a number of years before then going on to the next one. So I had time to kind of see what the European guys had to teach because I went and learned full time in Germany and I learned mm -hmm. the European system. And then I came to the States and then for nine years learned from Sifu Langting and Sifu Carson Lau, both privately in seminars and instructor classes. And then so got a chance to really see that in depth mm -hmm. before I then left the association and then went on to do other things. Um, so on paper, you could say, well, you know, Alex has had like five or six different WT instructors. But that wouldn't really paint an accurate picture about how intensely I trained with those guys individually and how I used what I was learning from one to augment what I learned from the other one, uh, which helped me understand what the third one was teaching, which helped me kind of put the whole thing together. Okay. And I wasn't jumping from one to the other to kind of go like, oh, this guy's not teaching me something. Let me go to this guy or this guy's not doing it right. Let me go over here. It wasn't like that. It was like I'd be with this guy for a few years. Then I was here and then I was there. Like, so I would go in these phases. So I had, a, I had time to really get into those different variations and methods in depth before I would then decide which way I like better for myself. I, how can you decide which way is really better if you haven't even dipped your balls in that style mm. or in that way of doing it? People are so quick to, to do something for a short time, like, yeah, well, I'll do it like this. Maybe they don't gel with the instructor. That's a separate issue. But I think that a lot of dabblers out there, mm -hmm. uh, because it's very in vogue now to, to be uh, someone who's kind of a bit of a renaissance man in martial arts, you know, partially because of mixed martial arts, but also because there's so much information out there. You know, people want to be able to kick and, you know, kickbox and wrestle and grapple and do Wing Chun and hit the dummy and be able to use a sword and do all, like, you want to be able to do yeah. all of these things, So right? many flavors. Yeah, so many flavors, right? Um, that it's kind of in vogue to be like, yeah, well, I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. But I don't think you're seeing the same level of quality in those 10 different things the person is trying to master compared to the guy who just mastered one of them and, and really made that their thing. So... If someone has to change martial arts instructors because, like, in this case with Dale, he moves around a lot. Okay, well, that makes sense. That's a, that's a practical issue. And yeah. what are you going to do about that? And, yeah, you're going to see different takes and looks, and that can expand how you view things. But if you're just, like, someone here in New York where you have every martial art under the sun times 10 that you can just go to and go here and go there, and you're just jumping from school to school. Yeah. On every floor of every building. Yeah, crazy. then I think you're just kind of a dabbler mm. okay so I, I I differentiate between like different types of people who walk in the door mm. and uh, a 
profession, if I call, I sometimes will call people like a professional white belt. And a professional, <laughs> but a professional white, this. but a, no, professional white belt mm -hmm. is a positive thing. Yeah. Because it means you always have that attitude of a beginner when you do something. All right. So, uh, for example, um, uh, not to toot my own horn, but I'm about to toot my own horn. Yeah. Uh, when I train with Magno in jujitsu, right? I don't go to him and go like, I've been doing martial arts since the 80s. I've been doing this for this many years and da, 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 all this good. Like, I go like, no, like Magno is an absolute wizard in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's one of Henzo's top guys. Magno's amazing. I'm training with him. He's the expert in the thing I'm learning. I'm 100% a student. And I don't go like, yeah, well, in Wing Chun, I would just give you an elbow right here if you tried to grab me like that, bro. Because, <laughs> well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm his student. I, 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 I'm learning from him, and I want to improve those skills. I've it's not about type of students. Yeah, but too. it's always like that. It's yeah. always like that. Well, sometimes we have our, our own students. Like, yeah, I was training with my BJJ friend, and like, you know, mm -hmm. when he went to grab me, I just started elbowing his face, and then he was like, oh, but what's up with that? And I'm like, well, Wing Chun, we elbow. And I'm like, so... So, I mean, but your friend wants to, like, show you some grappling. Why don't you just do some grappling with them? Why do you got to be a dick and do something like that, right? Because I, I, I just, I, just I, I think this is kind of disrespectful, you know what I mean? And, and so when I go and learn from Sifu Lei Loy in Hong Kong, Southern Mantis, I don't go, well, you know, I'm a Wing Chun Sifu, you know. No, I'm a, I'm a Southern Mantis zero, all right? Yeah. And I'm there learning from the man. So uh -huh. act accordingly. And for me, that's what it means to be a professional white belt. You mm. always have the attitude of a beginner, absorbing, learning. And remember, like, um, I actually had a very interesting um, conversation with Magno. He said, you know, white belts and blue belts, which are the beginning belts in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He goes, they're the guys who buy all the instructional videos and the books and they buy all this stuff because they're, like, enthusiastic and they're learning this. He goes, once people are purple, brown, and certainly black belt, they kind of have the feeling like I kind of know it all and they lose that, uh, that want of learning new stuff, okay? And not, I'm not talking about uh, just jumping to another instructor. I mean like going in depth to what they're trying to learn. And um, it's interesting he said that because I also feel it's kind of the same in every other martial art, right? It's the beginners who have that kind of that idea like, all right, I'm going to learn the Siunam Tao form in Wing Chun. So I want to buy the Siunam Tao book. I want to see the poster. I want to watch the video. I want to see if it looks like the way I do it. And, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what it means to have a white belt mentality, mm -hmm. right? Um, but then I have people I call professional yellow belts. And even though the yellow belt in hmm. karate or whatever martial art is a belt higher than white belt, if someone is a professional yellow belt, this is, n when I say it at least, this yeah. is not a compliment. Because a professional white belt doesn't mean someone who keeps joining somewhere only to white belt. It means someone who has the attitude of a beginner, open, curious, wants to learn more, wants to learn in depth. A professional yellow belt is the person who goes from school to school, learns a little bit, and then goes to the next one. Like, it's the person who earns their first belt, they become a yellow belt, and then, oh, okay, well, I know what that style is about. I know. And they peace about. out and go to the other one. All right? So, I think if you're a professional white belt that's very serious, mm. then it might be okay to have different that instructors energy, or have different looks. Although, although, I would still recommend get good at something first before just jumping from here to here. So being a professional white belt also isn't a license to just dabble in everything. It means to be very, being a professional white belt means to be very serious. Being a professional yellow belt means to be a professional dabbler. 
And those, the martial arts world could use a lot less of. Mm -hmm. I think that 80% of YouTube comments are by professional yellow belts. So less dabbling of the balls, more like, more dipping of the balls. Wow. Leave the balls in longer. You know what? I actually had a relatively serious comment, but you just ruined it. You can say your comment. Trey is really good at like, you have this like really great moment that's built up. And then, and then everyone is like, "Wow, that's really profound." And then he like farts really it loud. Is, yeah, it it is, every time. Like, every time. It in, is in a very silent room. It is profound. All right. No, so I'm anyway. just gonna say, I've just um, I've had an idea for your next book that's not instructional. Dip in the balls. No, don't dabble no, the balls. No, that's the name of the book. Okay, no, that's for the next the ten minutes, don't say the word balls. All right, that's go ahead. Not the name. What of about? The book? No, the name of the book would be From Wing Chun Hero to Southern Mantis Zero. Wow, oh, that's great. Dip! Yeah, right, the story the, of my life. The story of your life. I was mm -hmm. thinking more along the lines of this, a bit more of a thing about how you're like learning your deep dive into BJJ. Maybe right. the fact that you train Mantis, you've done Choi right. Fat. But yeah. from a standpoint of someone who's right. actually a professional Wing Chun. Yeah, or like, yeah. You know, professional white belt. Professional white belt. Should, that should just, be a book. I mean, I'd just like to say I've never understood that I mean, I get it all the time in my line of work as a sound engineer when I deal with like, I don't know, like lawyers and doctors are like the bane of my life because yes. they're so academically accomplished that they cannot conceive of an area where they don't know better than right. somebody else. Right, sure, sure, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, so a lot of all, experts are that way. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's, and for me, it's like, you know, if I come to somewhere and someone knows better than me, you know, even if they're a bit of a dick, which right. happens sometimes, yeah. you've got to learn from them, right? Yeah, exactly. You learn. You, you learn to, you know, what, what is the saying? Like, you have two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as twice you speak. Twice as much. So anyway, what else you got for me, Dre? Hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners. Are you a fan of Wing Chun Kung Fu? Well, if you listen to me, I assume you are. I got great news for KFG fans. Right now, you can get an all-access, one-month free trial subscription to Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Yes, I said free. Go to WCINewsstand.com and register in the upper right-hand corner. Fill out your email and password and use the code KFGTRIAL to get your free trial to all the issues from 2011 to the current issue. That's right, all the issues. Even the one with this cool guy on the cover. That's me for those of you listening to us on audio. My Kung Fu Genius column is also in all the new issues as if you needed another reason to get this awesome magazine. Go get your free trial subscription today. For all that information, check out the description below. And now back to me. All right. Next up, we got Andrew Lin. Ah, oh, here we go. I've heard of that guy. Oh, yeah. I know that guy. Yeah. yeah. He's been doing a lot of extra editing lately. Oh, <laughs> sh yeah. yeah. Jesus. Don't make him work too what? much, okay? I love those noodles. Uh, here are a bunch. Oh no, X that. I've seen some martial artists using devices that train reaction time by lighting up, mm. and the martial artist has to tap them. Do you think devices like this can actually improve one's reaction time in fighting, or? Are they too specific to be transferred to a practical context? That's a really good question. He always has good questions. He does have good questions. It's, like he, wa it's like he watches this He's more than like, anyone else. Right? I know. Yeah. For some reason. Maybe that's what happens when you're the editor he, of the Kung Fu Genius podcast. He knows what questions are missing. Yeah, exactly. Because he has <laughs> to edit all these questions. Yeah. You're like, oh my God. Someone's, How come no one asked this? Yeah, someone's asking another Bruce Lee drug question. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Okay, so um, 
Yeah, so we're talking about those devices. Sometimes they can be put, I think, on heavy bags or sometimes they're standalone devices uh, that have different lights, like circles with different lights. And then, like, for example, if you're a boxer, when the one lights up, you hit Bing. that one, you hit that one, you mm -hmm. hit the... Da, da, da. Oh, yeah. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's difficult because when it comes to sports science, well, you have to see if they've done any kind of research on it, all right? So, like, for me to to sit here having never used that device and be like, yes, it's good for this, or no, it's totally useless, I would be, quite frankly, talking out of my ass. Because how would I know? I need, I need to see the data mm -hmm. on uh, um, how does this improve reaction time in fighting or sparring or whatever, right? Um, the one thing I have to say is that, uh, and I've mentioned this before, and it's really important, I think, for traditional martial artists to understand this. I think modern martial artists kind of get it intuitively, like how important sparring is and how important practical training is. Mm -hmm. Traditional martial artists like to get good at things through gimmicks, all right? Now, I know that the light-up thing is actually something for boxing or kickboxing, which is kind of a modern thing, but I'm going to talk from my own wheelhouse here, which we mentioned before. Things like rattan rings and all of these like kung fu torture devices that people are like, yeah, this is how you're going to get really good. Like if you want a really powerful punch, you have to beat the shit out of your hand and do this iron palm sequence instead mm -hmm. of like, say, I don't know, hit a fucking bag regularly, right? Hit the wall bag, hit a heavy bag. Do some strength training. Do some power training. Develop those attributes. No. You have to do this ancient secret um, iron palm thing because it's going to teach you how to hit in a relaxed way and your hand is going to be so hard you're going to break everything it touches. When in reality, when it comes to sport performance, and I've said this before and it always bears repeating because oftentimes we get the same question in a different form. Mm -hmm. The thing that you train is the thing you get better at. Okay, Man. so while, and I'm just kind of spitballing here, hit, having one of those devices that has like the multiple lights and you have to go and you have to hit, when you do it at first, um, especially if there's like a setting where like a faster setting, and so you're going to feel like, wow, this is really difficult. And you're okay. going to feel like, oh, my reaction time isn't that good. So you're going to, you know, build it up progressively. And then at some point, you're going to get better at it. But what you're actually getting better at is using that apparatus. You understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Okay. Um, and, and so that's, I think, what people sometimes miss out on a little bit. Um, like, for example, you have certain types of movement screens. Like, you know, what is your range of motion for your shoulders? What's the range of motion for the hips? How do you move here? And, and then people will say, well, if you can only move this many degrees, you're not like a good athlete or whatever, right? But what they actually found out is that just by when you do the movement screen the first time, you've never done it before. So your results aren't really that good. But if you did the same movement screen for like two or three weeks, you would get way, way, way better at it, even if you didn't do anything else to improve those movement characteristics, right? Because the idea behind a movement screen is to see where do you have impingements? Where do you have a, like, where does your shoulder not move? Where does your hip not move? Where does your ankle not move, right? And then you can do it one time and then some physical therapist can say, see, you, you have no mobility in your ankle, you don't have this, you don't have that, and then would prescribe a whole round of exercises for you to get better at those things, right? But the joke is if you literally just did the movement screen, the test, yeah. a number of times that week and the next week, you would actually get better at it. 
because your body would start making adaptations to the screen that you're doing regularly and it would start to become more comfortable with the movements. So without actually having done specific exercises to improve the movement screen, you get better at the movement screen by doing the movement screen. Okay. So, um, Makes perfect sense. yeah, so that, um, that was told to me by Dr. Kenneth J. Right. Um, and so, and he's a sport physiologist. He's a doctor of sport physiology. So he knows a thing or two about these things. Right. So I'm kind of of the opinion that if you have something in front of you that lights up that you have to hit at first, it's going to be a little difficult and then you're going to adjust. And then over time, you're going to get really good. Mm-hmm. at using that apparatus Man. because you get the, the, you get the feeling and the rhythm and the timing of how that thing works. Now, is there an overall um, effect on your reaction time? Like, are you actually decreasing your reaction time the way the thing promises? Maybe. All right. Like you have a shorter um, twitch response when suddenly something happens. But a big part of what I think you would be getting better at is using that device. You see what I mean? And, and so that is like when people go and they do use the rattan rings and stuff, right? And, and then after time, they're like twisting it and twirling and stuff. What are you actually getting better at? Are you getting better at using quan sao, bong sao, gan sao, tan sao, all of these movements? Or are you just getting better at using the ring, right? And, and so I think um, we need to evaluate these kind of methods. Because when you look at like uh, MMA fighters, you might see on like a reel that they use that light up thing yeah. because they're trying to do something sexy for the camera. But when the cameras are not around, the majority of the training that MMA fighters do is really basic. <laughs> they're doing strength and conditioning. They're hitting pads. They're hitting mitts. They're hitting the heavy bag and they're doing sparring and they're doing work in the cage if they're an MMA fighter. But when UFC comes to do a highlight reel on their training, well, then yeah. you see all the sprints with the parachutes the behind stuff. them and like, oh, yeah, all, yeah, all the, the Rocky Four shit, right? Yeah. Even though that a lot of that gimmicky training, while they might use some of it, actually doesn't represent the lion's share of what they do. Um, but that's the stuff that kind of gets people excited. And so what is like these light up things for striking or parachute sprints for MMA fighters for me is like the rattan rings and like all these kind of like gimmicky things like, oh, we have to practice our chiso on the plum blossom poles or something like that. <laughs> right. And, and so I, as much as I am a fan of like Kung Fu and like cool looking shit, I've written a few articles about uh, this topic in uh, Wing Chun Illustrated for my Kung Fu Genius uh, column. Like, you know, and also I had an entire editorial at the end of my new wooden dummy book where mm-hmm. I just go, it, I think it's literally called Put That Rattan Ring Away. Okay. And it's like this little rant at the end of the wooden uh, dummy book, right? Yeah. Because also, like, for me, also the same thing with wooden dummies, right? Um, at some point, the normal ass wooden dummy isn't enough because, uh, well, we can make a wooden dummy with eight arms. Yeah. Right? And call it the octopus dummy. Yeah. And I go, yeah, you could. But why? All right? Because it facilitates you doing more combos because they're more arms. But what does that have to do with... Multiple fighters. Well, see, but that's the thing. There's this, like, conflation of, like, okay, the multiple arms, are they multiple fighters? Or what you really see when I see people working on those octopus dummies is they're just doing all these, like, different combos on it. Mm -hmm. 
but those are combos that exist for the octopus dummy. Yeah. Those are not combos that exist for a living, breathing human being. Mm. And it, it's just kind of like, oh, cool, look. Now, after I do the bong sao and I go over here, because there's another arm there, I can do this one. But now there's another arm I can do here. So, yeah, but what does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with how someone reacts? Or the, the, the very realistic fact that no one is going to leave their arm out there for you anyway. Okay? So, so the moment you stick to someone's arm and then you move away to hit them, they're already pulling that hand back to fire and hit you with another one, which is why your hand either needs to go forward because of forward pressure, or you need to stick control and clinch to keep that hand from coming back and hitting you again. But I feel that like these multiple arm dummies further reinforces the wrong idea that arms are going to stay out there stationary for you to do pack, lap, jut, jut, boop, 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 and then hit the person. Damn. When the person on the street goes pop, pop, and then you're there chasing arms that are no longer there. Chasing all right. Hands. So, and then you have like, so you have those ridiculous multiple arm dummies. Then you have like the dummies with the spinning bases, which is totally stupid um, because it's like, yeah, well, you know, if you hit it and then it spins around, then you got to react to that. You're not reacting to that because every time you hit it to the right, <laughs> it's going to come to the left. That's not a live reaction. That's a pattern. Uh-huh. Okay. And you're also training that every time you hit in this direction, something automatically comes from there, then something automatically comes from there. That's a pattern. And there's nothing to do with what the wooden dummy is constructed for. You're creating these ideas. If you want someone who's going to punch and do different things and react different, grab a partner and freaking spar. But stop trying to make the dummy that thing. And I don't care if you don't have a partner. Making the wooden dummy more mobile and doing things like that isn't making the wooden dummy more realistic. You still need a damn partner. If you don't have a partner, go and train one and build your own training partner. But stop trying to make the dummy everything. Okay? So you have these ridiculous spinning base dummies. There are people who've like massively extended the arms on there. The stuff just literally doesn't make any sense. Right? So, um, yeah, that, that's for me, it's kind of along the same vein, okay? Is this thing actually giving you um, visible, noticeable, practical results in real time in terms of your, uh, lowering your reaction time, uh, making you more powerful, uh, giving you better angled positioning, whatever, whatever the attribute is? Or is this thing just making you better at this thing? You know what I mean? There was like, it was, it was so funny that uh, I talked about like, um, there's that one thing uh, that it goes onto your head and then it's got like a string and it almost has like a, like a little tiny ball there and you can jab it and it's got like, and it basically uh, yeah. goes, well, you've seen it like on Instagram, like there's right. so like the boxers are jabbing this thing and it goes back and forth, right? We talked about it on an episode maybe a number of months ago, right? And I actually said the same exact thing. I said, yeah, you would put that thing on because someone asked if I thought that thing was good for Wing Chun. And I basically gave a, a copy and paste answer to what I'm giving now. I said, yeah, at first you would do it and it would be kind of challenging and kind of fun. And then over time, you would, you would figure out the rhythm and feel for this thing. But what you figured out was the rhythm and feel for that device you have strapped on your head. How to train the apparatus. Yeah. How to train on the apparatus, apparatus which yeah. is not um, the same as lighting some, piecing someone up with a jab uh-huh. and moving around and reacting. You're literally learning how to use it, right? And I had this, what I thought was a kind of a, a, a very clear explanation. Like, yeah, you, there's probably some benefit with like speed or relaxation or whatever, some peripheral benefits. But ultimately, what you're learning to do is you're just learning to get good at that thing. Now, by the way, I'm all for it because I'm a movement nerd. 
So I do a lot of movement stuff, which doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Wing Chun per se, but I do it to improve my, not to sound wooey, but like kind of the mind-body connection, your ability to, you know, make your body obey the thing between your ears, <laughs> yeah. okay? And so if, if you want to be a good athlete, you have to be able to do that in all sorts of different planes of motion, right? Even if you're good at Wing Chun, it's always my complaint about Wing Chun people. Oh, Wing Chun, we don't kick high. And Wing Chun, we don't need to be able to do any kind of special acrobatics or big movements or whatever. That's great. From, from a practical fighting perspective... We don't kick high in Wing Chun? No. From a practical fighting perspective, yeah. that makes sense, okay? Okay. But from a movement and athletic perspective, that's completely stupid, all right? Because if you, if you just want to be good at Wing Chun and, and apply Wing Chun in fighting, okay, fine. Yeah, you don't need to kick above the waist. You don't need to do any windmill punches. It's, every, it's very direct. It's very simple. That's one of the strengths of, of Wing Chun as a fighting art. But it's also one of the weaknesses of it as a movement art because people think, if I just do this, then um, I have everything I need. But if you do a lot of Wing Chun, all right? I'm not talking about someone who comes two or three times a week. I'm talking about like my level. Mm -hmm. All right, what you get is overuse because I do more Wing Chun in a week than most people do in three months yeah. all right? between my own training and my lessons here, right? So I have to do other types of movement stuff for my shoulders, for my back, for my hips and do more flexibility and stuff like that so my body can move in all these different planes of motion and so that I'm not just constantly treading on the same sagittal plane using the same rotator cuff, using the same hip muscles, you're, you're, you're going in different ways so that you kind of round yourself out a little bit, right? And so that is kind of, I think, what's good about those devices. But ultimately, all you're doing is getting good at using that device. So anyway, I gave this like, to kind of come back, I gave this what I thought was a relatively clear explanation of that, right? And then someone <laughs> still commented, uh, yeah, but I still want to see uh, you and, and Dre use that for the next three months and then test yourself in sparring to see uh, if you improved. And so, well, first of all, it was like kind of like, it's a very weird comment, like, yeah. uh, like someone in the comments telling you what you need to do in your own martial art, right? Which is like, calm down, Tito. Um, second, I go, what's the test? Okay. Because, again, it's a people, I don't think they understand what a scientific test is. So I would spar you first, because mm -hmm. that would be my control. And then I would use this thing for three months. Yeah. And then I would spar you again. And then what am I measuring? My, the, the, the amount of time it takes me to beat your ass? Right. All right. And then so if I, if I beat you three seconds quicker than, than I did before the three months of training with the ball... So now that's the proof that putting this ball on my head and doing chain punches on it made me able to defeat you three seconds quicker? Yeah. What if it takes me three seconds longer? So that thing made me worse? Hmm. I don't think that thing would have any effect. Mm. All right. Also, how are you going to... That, that's not... Uh, what I don't understand is why this guy thought that putting a ball strapped to your head, which the obvious benefits are uh, hand-eye coordination, relaxation, speed and uh, accuracy why the person would think uh that's going to improve your sparring per se because um how are you going to measure that mm -hmm. it, af after i beat you up after we we spar for 30 seconds i'm gonna go did i more accurately hit your nose this time than last time that one little right? target so now that you're on the ground all right the first time i beat you up 
were my chain punches a little more scattershot over uh, your face, or did I now really hone in on the same spot? Yeah. What is the test? What, what, I, I don't a understand. pimple on my forehead. Exactly, and I smashed it, and then <laughs> smashed it again, Frankie Chan style, right? Yeah. So, like, I don't understand what would the test be. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like, I think people just, like, they just get such a hard-on for these Put funny devices. on. Yeah, yeah but still, like, still, like what, what, what is it? And, and what if the first time we sparred, I decided to kick you, clinch you, and take you down? All right. And then the second time we did, I pieced you up with punches. Yeah. So what's what's the what are we testing? I mean, what 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 like it's just it's completely bizarre and stupid. And people put way too much uh, emphasis on these cool devices. Now, I like cool devices. They're mm. fun. All right. But that is ultimately, I think, the things that make the per that make people who are at the elite level uh, points of a percentage better. But for the average people who still just need to build up the skill, that's, those are not the things you need to be doing. You need to be just doing the work. All right? okay. Showing up, training, sparring, hitting stuff, getting better, improving your physical attributes. All right? And not worry about like, oh, the thing that's going to make me really good at Wing Chun is strapping this thing onto my head. Or, or boxing against this thing with random lights. So that's really the thing that's missing in my training. Right? Yeah. Can you imagine how good Grandmaster Yip Man would have been had he only had this? Jesus Christ, can you imagine wow. how good Bruce Lee would have been had he only been able wow. to strap something on his head and box it? Get out of here. Why are these guys who existed before? Can you imagine how good Muhammad Ali would have been had he only had that light-up thing? I mean, like, yeah, maybe these make incremental improvements for people who are already at the elite level. But it's also possible to get really freaking good at martial arts doing basic ass grunt work. And the problem is ultimately people don't want to do grunt people work. They just the want to work. do the sexy stuff. No, uh. martial arts training is not sexy. It's, no. it's a grind because that's how you develop the skill. And you can keep trying to cheat it with these kind of funny devices. It's not going to happen. Don't cheat the what, grind. Though, you, you're missing out on a money opportunity. I did a soul cycle class once and um, I also did you know, 80s glow-in-the-dark bowling. So imagine, just turn all the lights off on a Monday night, advertise it as like kind of, you know, Rocky montage music, rattan ring training, right? And just glow-in-the-dark yeah, glow rattan rings? Glow-in-the-dark rattan rings. Okay, I'm down for that. Right. right. Seriously. Yeah. Like, everyone okay. would come. I take back everything I said. All right. <laughs> okay. All right, next question. <laughs> hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners. If you're a Wing Chun practitioner, especially from the WT or Learn Ting line, and want to get really personalized immersion training with me, you can now apply to do an immersion course with me here in NYC, or if you like the sun, in my Florida home near Orlando. These courses are for instructors or anyone who's serious about learning the art in detail and working hard. I teach in program blocks like Siunam Tao, Chum Q, Buji, Wooden Dummy, and those include the Chi Sao Theory, Fighting Applications, and Training Methods as well. If you're really serious about learning Wing Chun, check out the link in the description below to find out about applying for a spot. For those of you who are not quite ready to do full private immersion training, you can also apply for a spot at either our winter or summer intensive training camps. We have a few spots available for non-city Wing Chun students, so apply today. A link for those options are in the description below. And now back to me. Tai Chi Kuo. All right, here we go. Okay. Hooray. Agreed. You answered my cue on air. That's usually right. where we answer them. That's where we usually answer yeah. them. I'm on air right now. <laughs> you look like you're on air. 
Walking on sunshine. Fun question for future episode. Do you believe that CBD, where legal for medicine use, could be successfully integrated into a good Tita Jiao recipe? Oh, God, I have no idea. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> that might be a question right. for the I dean. I am not the Ditta Jiao genius. All right? Dean. Um, Are you the Dit Dao genius or the Dit Dao Jiao genius I'm or the CBD genius? I'm about to the Dit Dao Jiao's. Yes. Are you going to try genius. this? Yeah, so, concoction. I have a couple. I have a couple really good Dit Dao Jiao recipes, and most of those herbs, you know, basically what Dit Dao Jiao is is a. Uh, it, it literally means like fall hit wine. All right, that's that's what those three characters translate to, and it's essentially a. T- almost, I guess, like a type of liniment that you use to deal with, like, contusions and bruising and stuff like that, right? Like a Bengay. Like a Chinese Bengay, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, except it's, it's not, a, like, a, in lotion form. It's, it's, it's basically kind of like a liquid. So basically the way it I've works... i never used a And there, there are a it. number of different recipes. Some recipes are more for, like, healing and anti-inflammation. Some recipes, supposedly are for conditioning. So for mm-hmm. example, people who practice iron palm where they're just beating the shit out of their hands and stuff like that, right? They use a certain type of dita jiao to help to harden their hands and things. Like according to them, they feel that the dita jiao helps them condition their hands to be harder and stuff like that. I don't really know about that. When when they when they do a there's some construction going on. Yeah, that's- yeah, when when they do uh, some kind of double blind study on that and prove that this actually in fact strengthens your hand, then I'll be convinced. But I have firsthand anecdotal experience with using Dita Jiao since the '90s, mm-hmm. and um, there are certain recipes that I've used, uh, whether from Hong Kong or ones that I've gotten that I've made on my own. That like if you if you get dinged up in sparring mm-hmm. or you get bruised up and you put it on there, you really can see or can feel the inflammation go down faster than if you didn't use it. Um, gotcha. But I don't know jack shit about the herbs, like what their properties are and okay. what they do that. I don't know if CBD is something that can be integrated in there because I this is not my area of expertise. CBD? CBD, BBD, um, <laughs> and, and I, I once actually had the opportunity to learn some Chinese medicine. Mm. Uh, I probably never told you this story. What? But um, this is a this is exclusive. Kind of, yeah, this is an exclusive. Actually, I don't think I've ever told this story. Exclusive. So a number of years ago, um, I had a uh, one of my seabacks from Hong Kong. He came to visit New York. I think I've heard this. And um, no, you have not. I've never told this story before. And um, he knew a, a Chinese doctor here in New York, even though yeah. he's from Hong Kong, right? So he came here and while he was in New York, he's like, hey, I want to see my friend, you know, this, let's just call him Dr. Wong, all right? And I was like, okay, fine. Dr. Wong has a clinic in Chinatown. And so we went there and I met Dr. Wong and he's like a very, you know, like, a, a very friendly guy, very open. And, but, you know, you go in there and the first thing he shows you is like, look at all my awards and look at all these things. And he's even on like a certs. He's even on a stamp in China. Thank so you. he's like, he's like a big deal. Thank God for that. I thought that you were going to say something else. No. The first thing he showed me is his. Mm, Jesus Christ. You, these cute guys, man. Early in the What's morning. What's wrong with that? What 
is in your head, all right? What's never not in my head? <laughs> all right. So, uh, so anyway, you Don't know. Don't leave that out. So he, uh, he's, he's like a seemingly impressive guy, right? And uh, he does all the methods like uh, acupuncture and mm -hmm. cupping and Chinese massage and like herbal stuff and everything, right? And so while I was there, my Seabach was like, hey, you know, you should learn some of this stuff because this mm. can augment your Chinese martial arts practice. Now, um, I'm, I'm all for it. You know, I'm not like, I don't want to go like, okay, now I'm going to learn from this guy for a few months and then open a clinic within my school because uh, <laughs> yeah, right. that's not how it works. You need to get licensed, all that kind of stuff. But I'm like, you know what, if I can learn a couple things, especially a couple things related to uh, the types of injuries we have in Wing Chun. Like maybe he can show me a couple things to help students if their shoulders are hurting or if they, you know, get get hurt, you know, from from some kind of impact or something like that, right? Or maybe something with the neck if they get pulled or whatever, right? So I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll learn a few things or whatever and see how it is, right? So I actually went and did like two or three lessons with him. And he actually showed me how to do um, cupping. You know, the cupping where they use the butt, he showed me how to do it in a really old school way with, with the cups. flame. No, with oh. the flame, with the glass cup. Because nowadays they basically use like this suction thing. They put the thing yeah. on, it's like, and, it's, and the idea is that it's supposed to bring all the impurities up out of the, your body or whatever, right? And, but in the old days, you basically, you took a glass cup and then you held the flame inside of it. And then you took the flame out and then you put it on there. It, had a, it was an immediate vacuum and it would suck up this way here. So because you basically take out the oxygen because of the flame. And so I actually learned how to do like the old school, like not the, not the pansy stuff with the suction guy. I learned the glass, boom, like some out of an old Kung Fu movie, like what, what? Wong Fei Hung would do. And he showed me like how to, I actually did it on a real person, right? It was oh. crazy. Um, and, uh, and that was super interesting, right? And then he showed me like a couple other little things. And then the third time I went there, he started to tell me about like his chi powers. And like, <laughs> you, you know, so, um, you, you know that moment, you know that moment when the record. We know where this is going. And you know that moment when the record skips? <laughs> that was it. Because like I learned cupping, I learned some massage. So I was like super, super into it, right? And then I was there ready to like, I had my notebook, like I'm learning all these kind of things. And then he goes like, you know, um, he's like, I can conduct electricity through my hands. Oh, dear God. All right. And then I was like, <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, because as much as I'm a fan of Chinese Kung Fu or whatever, yeah. I'm, I have a very, very highly calibrated bullshit detector. <laughs> and then so he had this like device that um, had like a light bulb on it. And then he told me like to touch this thing and like the light bulb doesn't do anything. And then he touched it and the light bulb went off. And I knew how this thing worked because I also know a lot about magic. What? And he was like, see, see, and then you try it, see. And then he did it and then, and then I was like, oh, f and then, uh, and then he showed me some stuff that day and I, I never came back. Oh. I was like, no, I'm sorry. Oh. All right, because I think that there are some real practical applications to um, Chinese medicine. Acupuncture can be very effective, cupping, different types of massage modalities because they have so many years of this practice, building it trial and error over such a long history. 
that they've come up with a body of knowledge that's extremely helpful. I think sometimes when it comes to Chinese medicine, I think sometimes the explanation for why this stuff works might not be accurate because right. they might tell you, well, you know, um, this acupuncture series on your arm is relieving your whatever your issue is because it's opening up this meridian or allowing the chi to flow. I thought when, that's what it was. When in, well, that's what they say it is. That's what they but say. The thing is, but it might be effective because of a completely different mechanism. So it's like, I think that a lot of that stuff is effective, but not for why they think it's effective. I think there was a lot of trial and error mm -hmm. in this long history of Chinese medicine and they the figured out stuff that works, but they... You're basically taking that explanation of why it works that was probably the same explanation 100 years ago, 200 years ago. And I think what, what people sometimes forget is like science and medicine, these things are constantly evolving. We're constantly learning more and more about how this stuff works. And I think that a lot of traditional Chinese medicine works, but not the why they think it does. And I think a lot of it doesn't work. And I think a lot of it is placebo effect. Right. Mm. So it depends on what modalities we're talking about. I think that there's stuff in Chinese medicine that is just complete hooey nonsense. Oh, and yeah. um, and then there's other stuff that is effective, but not for the reasons they think. But because of this long history of them using this. There's often this default point of like, well, you know, the ancients knew all this. Stuff. No, they didn't. All right. <laughs> if you could go back in time. All right. If you could go back 200 years or just 200 years, which in the scope of the universe is a blip. It's not, it's not even, 200 years is not even anything. 200 years might as well be now in terms Snap. of the age of the entire universe, right? But 200 years ago, and let's say you could go to, let's forget Asia, let's just say even here in America. Yeah. And you could have a conversation with your great, 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 great grand whatever. All right? You're Ooh, like, you're from the I future. I would love to do that. Yeah. But here's the thing, Dre you would realize this person is an ignoramus, okay? Okay, as, ni as nice as they might be, this person would be extremely naive to the world outside of the US. They would be totally naive to foreign cultures. They would be, uh, they wouldn't fully understand germ theory, mm. like basic shit, like how, why you need to wash your hands regularly. Uh, they wouldn't understand all, like all sorts of stuff you know as a non-medical expert. Like you don't know shit about medicine. Yeah. All right. You no. could go back to a doctor from that time period and tell them shit that they don't know. Okay. Okay. Now go a few thousand years to China and imagine you could speak whatever dialect of Chinese in the area you go to, let's say 500 years ago, and you were to speak to a Chinese doctor and ask them, how does this stuff work or whatever? And you would just realize they don't know anything. They don't even know germ theory. They don't even know basic stuff. They don't know anything about viruses, okay? Um, they have a couple modalities that might work because of trial and error, and they might have other things that people just think that it works. But we're now supposed to take this person's ideas 500 years later and say this is the absolute truth, whereas there are things in medicine from five years ago that they disregard because they've now found better information. But the stuff from five years, 500 years ago was totally legit, right? Uh. So, so I think we always just need to be careful when it comes to this stuff. So, and also, 
because it's a question posed on my podcast doesn't mean I need to give an answer. I don't know shit about Chinese medicine. I took three lessons and quit after the third one, all right? Okay. should probably ask someone with some more chops than the Kung Fu but genius. Do you know anything about CBD? Uh, CBD? CBD. They, they, yeah, they, you know me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> weren't they weren't they a group from the '90s, right? From some some ex members from uh, New Edition or whatever, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Um, n- no, so like the CBD oil, which is like the non psychoactive part of uh, of cannabis or whatever, they which is used for has anti inflammatory properties or whatever. Um, I think I. I used it a couple times, like some CBD oil on some stuff, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't really feel that it did anything. All right. So I, I, I don't know. I, but, but again, I'm the Kung Fu genius. I don't know shit about medicine. All right. That's a way better question for, you know, um, I have uh, my doctor. I've had my doctor for a really long time. He's Chinese, and he's a young guy. Well, he's like my age, so I say he's a young, young guy. guy. Um, and, uh, but he's always like really great uh, because he, he knows what I do for a living. And so if I have something wrong with me, he's like very aggressive in fixing it because he knows I don't have a desk job. I teach martial arts. So when I had to go for a shoulder, uh, shoulder surgery, he didn't send me to like just a normal surgeon. He sent me like to the guy who's like the orthopedic surgeon for, you know, serious people who do sports and stuff like that. So I got like the best surgeon to do my shoulder. And like, so he's always been that way, right? Um, I'm, I'm going to see him again in November for my yearly checkup. Yeah. And I, I want to see if I can convince him to be on the podcast because, uh, I have some, I have some like of these kind of questions for him, but you know, but you know what else I have? Um, I actually just want him to look at Bruce Lee's autopsy. Yeah. Because I have a, I have a copy of Bruce Lee's autopsy and I've talked about it to like other medical experts, but, uh, there's some weird stuff in there, and uh, I have some questions. And I don't think, you know, to, to be fully fair, I don't think, like, uh, an hour-long conversation with a doctor about Bruce Lee's autopsy is going to answer anything. Because there have already been documentaries where they had doctors and pathologists talk about what's in Bruce Lee's autopsy. Um, but given the new revelations of, like, the drug letters and stuff like that, um, there's some... The, the weird thing about Bruce Lee's autopsy is the stuff that's not in there. Yeah. Namely, specifically looking scary. for things like cocaine. Um, because everyone's like, well, if he was taking cocaine, how come they didn't find that stuff in the autopsy? Because they didn't look for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I find kind of weird. So I would like to talk to a medical professional about stuff like that. I would really like, Man. and I don't know if, you know, well, I'm making this plea out there to the Kung Fu Genius listeners. Um, obviously, I would love to have my doctor. My doctor is like really great, and I would love to just talk to him about yeah. this kind of stuff. But sounds like I a would fun actually really like if anyone out there in Kung Fu Genius Land knows someone who is like a coroner or a pathologist or someone who specifically deals with autopsies and dead bodies and stuff like that. That would be a little more interested to have that person come and discuss uh, Bruce Lee's autopsy hmm. with me because obviously a doctor will have medical training, but if, if they're like a general practitioner, you know, reviewing autopsies and things like that or what normal procedures are might not be their thing, but also procedures may have changed. So I would love to like know if like there's like maybe a coroner or some, someone who's done autopsies who can say, yeah... In the 1970s, they used to do it this way, but now they change it this way, and that's why this is like like someone who can give a little bit of perspective. I'd be super interested. So anyway, um, hit us up if you know someone. I've All done right. autopsies. 
Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't. Well, I mean, not, not any I like how I should... he said, I've done autopsies, and we look at him and go, well, no, I haven't. As if any of us were like, yeah, he's done autopsies. Well, I mean, I mean, well, I shouldn't have let it slip on the, on the podcast, you know. I'm <laughs> just, just saying. All right. Anyway, no, I have a friend of mine in England who's an anesthesiologist, so I'm going to ask him if he knows anyone. Oh, that's great. That's yeah, great. Like he's, and uh, he's married to an anesthesiologist, so he has to know somebody. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. sure. I'm sure. You know what I mean? Someone's got to know someone. Also, actual Dr. Wong might know someone. Lillian. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, you know Actual Dr. Wong yeah. instead of ele- uh, electric flow Dr. Wong. All right. <laughs> oh, so no. I think uh, we, we have, have time, time for, one for one more. Oh, actually, I have a quick question from Adolfo Gonzalez because oh, he keeps asking in the comments and he keeps asking, Dre, now you're a Sifu. When are you going to open a school in Morristown, New Jersey? In Morristown, New Jersey. Yes. Specifically in Morristown, I, New Jersey. I would have to find out the distance of. Yeah, Dre lives in Jersey, but that doesn't mean he knows where anything is in New Jersey. I don't know where Morristown is related to Edison. It could be far. It could you be just very gave close. away where you live on the podcast. Now okay. everyone knows no that Dre lives to go to Edison. in Edison, New Jersey. No one wants to go to Edison. Yeah, he's gonna... got a fair point. No one wants to go to Edison. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to go to Edison? Okay. Yeah. Thomas Edison is probably the most famous chamber out of Edison. The, the, the Edison Chamber of Commerce is oh, probably God. really upset right now. <laughs> Pissed. Yeah. yeah. All right. What do we got? All right. Uh, we got a question from Dre Eisen. Dre Eisen? Dre Eisen. All right. Not Dre Eisen. It's not Dreisen. It's not Dr. Eisen. It's right here. Wow. Did you actually write down the question because you couldn't remember to ask it yourself? It's right here. All right. Go ahead. Um, You've mentioned training at the castle with some awesome instructors. Like in this episode I mentioned? In in past episodes. Look at him. He uses the fake pointing when he pretends he's reading. (laughs) One of them was... uh, uh, a certain uh, guy by the name of Heinrich Pfaff. Heinrich Pfaff. Is that how you say how you say his name again? Heinrich Pfaff. So in season one of Kung Fu Genius, yeah, I did in a, I did two episodes on uh-huh. German stories. Yeah, and I probably said that name thirty times on yeah. the podcast. Heinrich Pfaff. <laughs> so Heinrich. I was like, "What is that name? You mean the one I've said multiple yeah. times to you in your presence?" Right. So, um, you also. Mention a story about how he did something so cool, and once you saw this, you was just like, I'm sold. What was that? <laughs> wow. Uh, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Um, so one night at the cat, so Sifu Heinrich Pfaff, like in recent years, he, he, um, he has his own way of doing martial arts. I think he calls it, it Wing Tai. Wing Tai, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, obviously influenced by Wing Chun, but he has other stuff in there. One of my good training partners actually is part of Sifu Heinrich's association, and they do cool stuff. It's got a little bit of a, a little bit of a JKD vibe, but with better Wing Chun, I suppose, than what most JKD guys do. Mm-hmm. And Sifu Heinrich is just kind of like a bit of a martial arts genius, just yeah. like the way that he looks at stuff. Um, and it's a bit of a shame that he's not more popular uh, than he is because he's he's really fantastic. But he he can be a little withdrawn and and he's not the most approachable person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that might be his only uh, only downside for kind of really getting out there. But he was a huge influence on me in my time in Germany. And when at that time, obviously he was 
you know, it was still just Leung Teng Wing Chun, WT. It was before he did his own thing. But he was just one of the best and one of the most spectacular in terms of his way of doing stuff. Because even within WT, you had like chain punchers, mm-hmm. you know, guys who just do, 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 just come in and kind of just run you over mm. with chain punches and elbows and stuff like that. Like and a then, tank with a machine gun. Exactly. Uh, and then you had guys who were like more technical and like smooth and stuff. And he was like, he was the king of that group. Um, and so one, one night at the castle, we were out in the courtyard because it was in kind of an outside area where we would train. And I think it was a seminar or like a small group or some kind of workshop because there were instructors from all over and there were people who are not kind of part of the normal group. And there was one instructor from Austria by the name of uh, Fran- uh, France. I'm not going to give his last name. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. Um, and he was a I think a third or fourth level technician, which is mm-hmm. quite high. And Sifo Heinrich was a fifth level master. So on paper, he's only one level higher than this Sifo France guy. But like, um, there are levels and levels. There's levels to this shit. There's levels to this shit, right? And so dur- during, I remember because it was starting to get a little bit dark and we were doing cheese out. I don't remember if we were doing a drill or exercise or just doing free cheese out or whatever. But, um, Sifo Heinrich started doing cheese out with this France guy. And uh, he just starts toying with him. Sifo Heinrich's nickname was the cat. Um, because, <laughs> right. of like, because of the way he moved. But um, in my opinion, although he moved very slick like a cat. But I feel like he, the nickname is more fitting because he would, just, he would just toy at you the way a cat toys at you, right? Not, not in the way like I'm just going to kill you. Mm-hmm. But in kind of like he's going to just pick you apart. And play with you a little bit and just <laughs> slowly and slowly yeah. muck you up over yeah. time until you just can't stand anymore, right? <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah, I mean, there had been times in training where uh, I, I've been hit many times in sparring through all my martial arts training and like knocked down and knocked out even once at the castle. And, but I've never been hit harder than by Sifo Henry Faf. And that includes by people much bigger than him. One time he, he, hit, oh. me, he hit me so hard. Uh, I wasn't right for like a day. Like, I, like I, I can't tell you exactly what it, I, I wasn't right. He hit me so hard. I was like, yeah, I, I, I went wobbling. home and I was, no, I, was, yeah. I just wasn't right. Uh-huh. I, I never felt anything like that before. It was incredible. Oh, wow. So anyway, he was doing, he was doing cheese out with this, this Sifu <laughs> France guy, right? And he's that. just picking him apart, boom, and everything that Sifu France does. Sifo Heinrich has a response for and he's just playing with him, right? And, you know, France is really starting to try to come at him and grab him and push him and elbow and this and that, whatever. And Heinrich is getting him everywhere, right? And then at some point, he just stood on one leg. All right? He just, he stood on one leg. He put his foot behind his knee of his supporting leg. Yeah. And... He toyed with France at that point way more than he did when he had both of his feet on the ground. <laughs> and he was like tossing him from side to side, hitting him. And France was trying to push him and he would just, he just stood there and he just borrowed force and he, and he just tossed him on the ground. And he just stood there on one leg while he was on the ground, just looked what? at him like, out of here, son. There are levels to this, right? Uh, it was really quite spectacular. So I, I will never forget that. It was, it was one of the most um, technical and, 
incredible displays of Wing Chun I had ever seen in my entire life. It was really by somebody who was like at the top of his game in WT at that time. He just literally toyed with this guy and he was standing on one leg and he could just unload. Anytime he was pushed, or he just unloaded the power. Even he would try to, get, try to pull him and he would use that against. It was just incredible. This is incredible. Oh. And that's all I got to say about that. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to like this video, subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius, write in the comments below any questions you have that you want me to answer on a future episode. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seekung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. What's up with that? What's up with that? Ooh, we. What's up with that? Yeah. What's up with that? Wow, one take. All right. Wow, it's always one take. What do you mean? Why is that? Why is that something? He's, when he's not. <laughs> and when he's not, it's just such a joy to watch. Yeah, <laughs> so many f bombs. And then uh, we have to leave the room and all sorts of things. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Thing. It's either perfect or it's the worst. Lots, Lots of dipping your balls in in your kung fu. No, why is it back? To Lots the of ball dipping dip your balls in the dit da jiao. No balls for in a the, long enough time. No balls. Lots, Lots of. of Electric chi blast out your hands. Electrical chi blast. Out, uh, electrical. Okay. He has to add the all in there. It's just a, just whatever. Do your thing. There you go. Yeah. Ready? Just getting you in the mood. <laughs> all right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> this. All right, let's go. Yeah, come on, boy. <laughs> oh, what the heck? Noodle. That wasn't the first time he's been called that today. <laughs> okay, noodle face. There was that incident on the train. Oh, right. yeah. Let's go. Let's go. All right, peeps. On today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems. Lots of <laughs> in your face. What? 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 Poor Andrew. We're getting demonetized and deplatformed. <laughs> Lots of electrical blasts out your hands. All right, peeps. On today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems. Lots of electrical chi blasts from your hands. Lots of you were so close. You are much greater than my professional. God damn. All right. Good job. Yay.